Well, good morning, Bokertov. Welcome to our Aliyah day. It is a joy, a pleasure, a distinct honor to be with you this morning and in your presence. I want to thank you for joining me. I'm Rabbi Mordecai Griffin, and this is the Aliyah Day. It's the daily program for Torah learning, Torah learning of our of our parasha. And uh, I am the rabbi of Sar Shalom Synagogue right here in Saginaw, Texas, and the founder of Lapid Judaism. Welcome to our page. Welcome to our YouTube, our channel, I should say. If you are new to us and just tuning in, you found us be, uh, because uh, Hashem uh, loves you, <laughs> then uh, please subscribe to our channel and, and don't forget to click the little bell next to the subscribe, to the subscribe button so that you do not miss any of the amazing content that uh, comes out and is forthcoming. And please like this video and comment below. Let us know that you're here on the video and and uh, enjoying what you're learning. Baruch Hashem. This is the sixth and the seventh Aliyah, or Aliyot, I should say, of uh, Parasha V'et Kanan. This is, of course, prep day as we're getting ready to uh, go into God's Holy Sabbath. We're going to be finding ourselves in the Art School Chumash, the Chumash, on page 973, uh, chapter 6, beginning in the fourth verse, which is the, the, the famous Shema passage that we say uh, twice a day as Jews. We say twice a day, we make this declaration of faith. And so with God's help, we'll be talking a little bit about the Shema. We'll be talking um, some more today about some of the other uh, commandments and, and things of that nature. So let's go ahead and read the 6th and 7th Aliyah, which will take us to the end of our parasha, and then we'll get right into the insights. So it says in chapter 6, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, Adonai is our God, Adonai is the one and only. You shall love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your resources. And these matters that I command you today shall be upon your heart. You shall teach them thoroughly to your children. You shall speak of them while you sit in the home, when you walk in the way, when you retire and you, when you arise. Bind them as a sign upon your arm, and let them be uh, ornaments between your eyes. And write them on the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. So, this of course is the first uh, paragraph of the Shema. Obviously, the message is clear. Aside from loving God, aside from uh, serving Him with our whole uh, heart, our whole being, our whole essence, God wants us to make sure that we keep His Torah near and dear to us. Now, I want you to just ponder this for a moment, because it seems rather obvious, but there are many people that believe that uh, the law of God is irrelevant, God forbid, that it's no longer valid for us, etc., but I want you to, to just take note of the fact that we're, we're dealing here with, with Scripture, okay? This is God's Word, Holy Writ. This is the book of Deuteronomy. And God is telling us right here in this passage that he, not only is the Torah relevant for us, not only is it important for us, but He wants us to meditate on it all the time. Basically, the wording here is teaching us that from the moment we get up to, to as we go throughout our day, to the, the time in which we lay down, that we should have Torah on our mind, on our heart. That we should be taking uh, time to study, to, to read. Uh, what you're doing right now by listening to the Aliyah Day is part of the fulfillment of this mitzvah. 
So let's continue reading. It says in verse 10, It shall be that when Adonai your God brings you to the land that Adonai swore to your forefathers, to Abraham, to Yitzhak, to Yaakov, to give you great and good cities that you did not build, houses filled with every good thing that you did not fill, chiseled cisterns that you did not chisel, orchards and olive trees that you did not plant, and you shall eat and be satisfied. Beware for yourself, lest you forget Adonai, who took you out of the land of Egypt from the house of slavery. Adonai your God shall you fear, him shall you serve, and in his name shall you swear. You should not follow after gods of others or the gods of the peoples that are around you. For a jealous God is Adonai your God among you, lest the wrath of Adonai your God will flare against you, and he destroy you from among the face of the earth. You should not test Adonai your God as you tested him at Manasseh. You shall surely observe the mitzvot of Adonai your God and his testimonies and his decrees that he commanded you. You shall do what is fair and good in the eyes of Adonai so that it will be good for you. And you shall come and possess the good land that Adonai swore to your forefathers to th thrust away all your enemies from before you as Adonai spoke. Verse 20. If your child asks you tomorrow, saying, What are the testimonies and the decrees and the ordinances that Adonai your God commanded you? You shall say to your child, We were slaves in Mitzrayim, and Adonai took us out of Egypt with a strong hand. Adonai placed signs and wonders great and harmful against Egypt, against Pharaoh, against his entire people before our eyes, and took us out of there in order to bring us to give us this land that he swore to our forefathers. Adonai commanded us to perform all these decrees to fear Adonai our God for a good and uh, for our good and all the days to give us life as this very day. And it will be a merit for us if we are careful to perform this entire commandment. There there's that that word again commandment. As I said, as I shared in an earlier aliyah, it says here in, in verse 25, Uzdacha teye lanu ki nishmor leasot et ko hamitzvah. Again, God is referring, and he's going to do it uh, in the next, uh, the next parasha, he's going to do this again, where he, he refers to the entire Torah as a single commandment. As far as God's concerned, his word is unified. And it's not to be divided. You know, you think about it. And that in those terms, if we divide God's word, we are in fact no longer uh, allowing God to be a chad. So it says, And it will be a merit for us if we are careful to perform this entire command before Adonai, our God, as he commanded us. Now, I just want to point out that what we just read from verse 21 to verse 25 is the entire doctrine of the Basara, of the gospel, <clears throat> that God brought us out by his own hand, by his own power, by his own strength, he brought us out of Mitzrayim, out of Egypt. We didn't bring ourselves out of Egypt. We did not save ourselves. He did it all by himself. And he did it so he could bring us to the promised land, this place of blessing. Now, what does he tell us to do in order to maintain our freedom, in order to maintain our grace, merit, privilege, in order to maintain what we have in the promised land, what we have to do according to God. Very important. According to God, the way that we do this is to continue to obey, follow, 
the mitzvah, the mitzvah, the commandments, the Torah of God. That's the picture. So the law of God came after we were saved by the Lamb of God for the express purpose of allowing us to be able to live in the promise of God. Let me say that again. The law of God was given to us after the Lamb of God in order that we can live successfully in the promise of God. That, my friends, is the gospel message. Chapter 7 begins the seventh aliyah. It says, When Adonai your God will bring you to the land to which you come to possess it, and he will thrust away many nations before you, the Hittite, the Gershite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Pezzarite, the Hevite, the Jezebelite, seven nations greater and mightier than you, and Adonai your God will deliver them from before you, and you will smite them, and you shall utterly destroy them. You should not steal a covenant with them, or seal, I'm sorry, I said steal, I meant seal. You should not seal a covenant with them, nor shall you show them favor. You should not intermarry with them. You should not give your daughter to his son. You should not take his daughter for your son. For he will cause your children to turn away from me, and they will worship the gods of others. Then Adonai's wrath will burn against you, and he will destroy you quickly. Rather, so shall you do to them. Their altars shall you break apart, their pillars shall you smash, their sacred cheese shall you cut down, and their carved Im- images shall you burn in the fire. But wait a minute. Why should we do that if we, wh- wouldn't it be better just to uh, use all of those things and uh, turn them into God things? In other words, why should we destroy their altars? We could turn it into a Hashem altar. We could have a holiday and we could take, you know, whatever their holiday happens to be with respect to that altar, we could... We could redefine the, the, the holiday now to reflect Hashem. Wouldn't that make sense? I mean, why waste all that beautiful product? Um, also, the pillars we're supposed to smash. Well, um, and the sacred trees, it says here. And what else? Oh, the carved images. Those things actually are very nice looking. And, and some of them are, uh, are very well carved. They're, they're kind of pieces of art. We can keep them in our houses, can't we? Or we could, we could perhaps uh, keep them around town. We're, after all, we're not worshiping them. So as long as we're not worshiping them, that makes it okay, right? No. God says we're to destroy them. We're to have nothing to do with them. We are to cut them down, smash them down. It doesn't matter if we redefine them. It doesn't matter if we're not worshiping them. It doesn't matter if it doesn't mean that to us. None of that is relevant. So, you know, people, we talk about uh, the, the various holidays that we have in the secular world that uh, have been uh, redefined to be religious holidays. Um, they were originally pagan holidays, and we just redefine them, and we think that that's okay. We can, we, somehow we can redeem the unredeemable. But God said it's not okay. And whatever you think about it, it's not really not relevant. You can have the little fat guy statue in your house. You could be, not be worshiping him. It could be for you just a nice little decoration because you really, really like um, uh, Asian things. Um, but none of that is relevant. What matters is it's an idol and not allowed to have it. So this is why I would point this out because it goes against our Greco-Western uh, mindset. Verse 6, For you are a holy people, Adonai your God. Adonai your God has chosen you to be for him a treasured people above all the peoples that are on the face of the earth. Not because you are more numerous than all the peoples that Adonai desire you and choose you, for you are the fewest of all peoples. Rather, 
because of Adonai's love for you and because he observes the oath that he swore to your forefathers, did he take you out with a strong hand and redeem you from the house of slavery? From the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, you must know that Adonai, your God, he is the God, the faithful God, who safeguards the covenant and the kindness for those who love him and for those who observe his commandments for a thousand generations. Now, again, the eternity, uh, the eternal nature of the law of Moses, the law of God, the law, the Torah. It says here that God shows kindness for those who love him and, say and, and for those who observe his commandments. For how long? Uh, until the Messiah comes? No. Until... Uh, uh, until let's see when is it when does it end oh it says here for a thousand generations that is a poetic way of saying forever a thousand generations that's forever so it says here that he's going to show love for those who keep the commandments for a thousand generations in other words this is never going to end how do we know it's not going to end well Manasseh gage uh brought this up in a class down on our class downtown um, on uh, Monday. He pointed out something that we, most of us know, but it's a good reminder, and I, and I had forgotten about it at the moment, but he said that um, in Zechariah 14, it says that uh, everybody is going to be keeping Sukkot in the millennial reign. And then I should also mention that in Isaiah 66, it talks about that we will be keeping the Sabbath and then the new moon festivals known as Rosh Hodesh. So doesn't it seem kind of odd that God is going to nullify, remove, cancel all of the festivals in his entire Torah only to revive the, them again in the Messianic era? What would be the point? If they're gone today because of the Messiah, who's not here, then why would we revive them in a time in which Messiah is front and center? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense at all, does it? Which can only mean one of two things. And this is a very important question we all have to ask ourselves. Either Zechariah and Isaiah are wrong, or we are wrong. I'm going to go with us. Uh, but you have to answer that question for yourself. Either Isaiah was misinformed, and Zechariah was misinformed, or our theology is misinformed. It's either one of the two things, because they can't be both be right. If our theology says the Torah no longer exists, we don't have these holidays anymore, we are followers of the Messiah, therefore we do something different, um, and yet in the Bible it says that they last forever, and in fact they're going to be extant even in the Messianic era, we have to reconcile those two equally, uh, or mutually rather, exclusive ideas. Either Isaiah and Zechariah are wrong, or we are wrong. I'm going to suggest, I'm going to go out on a limb and suggest that Isaiah and Zechariah were correct and we are wrong, and therefore we should change our theological view. Verse 10, And he repays his enemies in his lifetime to make him perish. He shall not delay for his enemies in his lifetime. He shall repay him. You shall observe the commandments and the decrees and the ordinance that I command you today to perform them. How many times does Hashem have to tell us to be sure and follow 
the commandments of the Torah and be sure to obey them, to keep them, etc. This reminds me of a loving parent when their children are getting ready to go off to some uh, trip and the parent reminds the child over and over again about whatever they need to be reminded of. Be sure and brush your teeth, be sure and be safe, be sure and listen to so-and-so. You know, the, the, the things that we say as parents to remind our children, they have heard it 20 times since they were packing their suitcase, but we tell them repeatedly, even in the car as we're taking them to the airport or whatever, we over and over and over again. So this is what God is telling us. Listen, you're going on a journey to the promised land, and I'm, I'm trying to tell you the most important things. I need you to listen to me Keep my commandments. Do not ever not keep my commandments. And here we have people today running around, uh, allegedly speaking for God, saying, I know God was just kidding. When he said, keep my commandments forever, what he really meant was um, not really forever, but whenever they end. Yeah. So, um, again, you know, we just have to ask ourselves, uh, who's wrong? So it says, going back, I want to, I want to touch back on something that I was uh, sharing yesterday and kind of ran out of time from the Cahill Tumash. We ended yesterday talking about the concept that Hashem was repeating the Torah in all the 70 known languages. Why? Because He wanted all the nations to be able to hear the Torah in their own tongue. Why? Because the Torah is ultimately for all people. The, God's goal is that everyone would effectively become Jewish at some point. Either now or in the millennial reign. One of the two, we're all going to be following the Torah. But here's another quote. It says, By translating the Torah into all the earth's languages, God also informed us that the Torah may be studied in any language. By doing so, we elevate that language, utilizing it for a holy purpose. As has been mentioned, this is also why God later had Moses translate the entire Torah into all 70 languages. Did you know that? Did you know that Hashem, or excuse me, uh, Moses wrote the Torah in Hebrew? That was the official Torah scroll. But did you know that he also translated the Torah into all the 70 known languages? Why would he do that? Well, as it's saying here, the Torah may be studied in what in any language, French, my native tongue, or uh, Spanish, or Japanese, or Greek, or whatever. It can be translated in any language. This also means we can pray, so why we can pray in any language. And then we have a statement here that Moses translated the Torah into all 70 languages. My friends, if the Torah was only meant for the Jewish people... All right. Now I want to be clear on what I just said. It's it's if it was meant only for the Hebrew speaking people, let me put it that way, the Jewish people, because everybody can become a Jew at some point, right? It's inevitable. Resistance is futile. Like at some point you're going to become a Jewish person. You can think to yourself, I'm not Jewish. Well, you're at some point you will, because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. But and that's not a threat. It's actually a great thing. It's going to be wonderful. It's like everybody's going to get to go to Disney World. I don't want to go to Disney World just because you don't know what Disney World is. If you don't like Disney, I'm just it's just an analogy. Don't get all upset. But anyway, 
the point is, is that if the Torah was meant only for the Jewish people, it would have been written only in Hebrew. But in this case, it's written in all the 70 languages. This is an emphatic statement that God's intent is that all people would be able to know his Torah, to follow his Torah, and to therefore be in a covenant relationship with Hashem. That's God's desire. That's God's plan. Also another statement here. It says, A further meaning of God's word had no pausing. That means that there was no echo. True, the absence of an echo normally characterizes a weak sound. That is not a great voice. However, the absence of an echo, it says, indicates that the voice of God did not reverberate off mountains. An echo happens when sound waves hit a solid um, structure, a rock, uh, a solid wall, and it bounces off of that and it creates an echo effect. What it's saying here is that God's word was actually absorbed into matter. Why? This is very important. Why? Because everything that has been made was made with God's holy Torah. So it absorbs it. Creation itself absorbs the Torah of God. Now, to move on, there's another statement here. Says, since the generation of the conquest and its errors would have numerous encounters with other nations, it was important that we be told that the voice of our forefathers heard at Sinai was heard by all the non-Jews as well. Therefore, in our effort to encourage them to establish a Torah-based, a Torah-based this is from the Kehol Humash. As it, let me just repeat that statement. Therefore, in our effort to encourage them to establish a Torah-based relationship with God and to observe uh, His commandments, we are not confronting them with something essentially foreign to them, for the voice of God has been imprinted on their psyche from Mount Sinai. Now, it does say here to encourage them to obey the Noahide laws, but as I said yesterday, the Noahide laws are seven laws. If, if, if it was God's intention that the world, non-Jews, would only keep the Noahide laws, then which, what sense did it make to communicate and then later translate in written form the entire Torah and their language? What sense would that make? Well, it doesn't make any sense at all. Because if you want people to only keep seven, then why are you um, confusing them with the other 606 or whatever? Because at what point in the Bible does it say that the seven are all for all mankind? The answer is it doesn't. So therefore, if you're communicating the entire Torah, at what point do the nations hear, oh, by the way, you only keep seven, and they don't? This is why when people read the Bible... One of the biggest dangers to traditional theology is when people read the Bible. Because what happens is they read the Bible and it's so clear, it's so, it's, it's just, it speaks for itself. And they start to follow. This is one of the problems that Martin Luther had when he printed the Bible in German. People started to eat kosher, they started to keep the holidays of, of the Bible, they started to live Torah observant lives. And he was like, whoa, 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 whoa. What are y'all doing? Oh, this is crazy. And he had to put down that uh, spiritual rebellion. 
This also teaches us a valuable lesson that there's really nothing new. Everything is a renewal. So when the nations hear the Torah and then we go to them and we say, hey, by the way, God would love for you to enter his covenant as full-fledged Jews, they can't say, well, this is foreign to us. We've never heard this before. But in fact, they have heard it. This is why it's not a new covenant. It's a renewed covenant. Why? Because God already spoke it before. There's nothing new under the sun. That's what King Shlomo said. There's nothing new under the sun. All right, another, another quote. It says, nothing about reality can truly be a deterrent to fulfilling God's will. If it appears to be so, this is only a facade, a test of our determination and devotion to our divine destiny. By approaching the Torah and its lifestyle as an encounter with God himself, we continue to cause his voice to permeate all reality, thereby making the world a home for him and fulfilling the purpose of creation. Therefore, what it's saying, and one of the things it's saying here, is that to encounter Torah is to encounter God. Why? Because the Mashiach is the Torah made flesh, and the Torah was with God in the beginning, and the Torah was God. Therefore, to encounter God, we encounter, we have, have uh, I'm sorry, to encounter God, we encounter the Torah. That's the point. And the other point is, is that as we are fulfilling God's Torah, as we are living a Torah observant life, we become that, um, what's the technical term I'm looking for? We become that repeating device. There's probably a technical term for that. You people who are electronically minded are probably, tell me what what I need to say. But we become that transponder, I don't know that causes God's voice to continue to go forth. Not that he needs us, of course. God doesn't need anybody, but he works through us. He uses us. Therefore, when we keep the Torah, we allow and perpetuate God's voice going into the uttermost parts of the earth. Yeah, thank you, Joe. As a speaker, we become a speaker. A replicator. Daniel said replicator. That's also fantastic. Ruch Hashem. All right, so I want to share a couple more thoughts here in the time we have remaining. From the concept of the Shema. I, I love what Rabbi Monk says about the Shema. It says, Our profession of faith begins not with the words believe or see, but with the utterance of Shema, hear. And it reminded me of what Yeshua said when he said, My sheep hear my voice. Belief, of course, is critical. It's foundational. It's fundamental. Um, we should have a deep and sincere faith. But when we are expressing our faith about God, what we say is not that we believe in God, which is, Interesting because a lot of the, the creeds of, of the ancient church and so on began with, begin with, I believe. But the creed of Israel is, I hear, which, which uh, expresses a, a deeper connection to God. It's not so much that I believe, but I actually hear. There is an experience that I have with God. I hear his voice. I sense his calling. I'm drawn to his word. 
also means that that our belief is not predicated just on on our belief or what we have as our personal experience, but rather we hear the voice of God. You know, uh, a lot of people have a hard time with the oral Torah. They want to believe the written Torah only. But at some point, the written Torah was also the oral Torah. In other words, God spoke the word and Moses wrote it down. So if you reject the oral Torah just because it's oral, then how can you accept the written Torah because it too was also oral? In fact, that's true for the Gospels themselves because the actual Gospels were not uh, written down for nearly a century after the Messiah taught what he taught, right? So the the uh, apostles themselves went about teaching orally what the Messiah taught. It wasn't until much later, uh, until, like I said, almost the end of the first century, before those Gospels were actually written down. What is this? So, so there's that. But what does this also mean? It means that when we read the Word of God, when we read the Torah, what we are in fact doing is hearing the voice of God. This is why the Shema begins with hear because we have to hear. We have to hear God's word and internalize it. This is why Yeshua said, my sheep hear my voice. What does that mean? Does it mean that, he's, that he speaks to us? Well, to a certain extent, God does speak to us on, in, in different ways. But, but wait a minute. Yeshua is the word of God. Therefore, if we are in fact his sheep, then we are hearing him. How do we hear him? It's by obeying Torah because we became believers in God uh, to a high level, I should say. The moment we stood at Mount Sinai and heard the voice of God, which was what? The Torah of God being spoken. Therefore, when Yeshua says, my sheep hear my voice, that is a, a statement saying that my sheep follow the Torah. Because I am the Torah. Because that means I am the voice. So therefore, if you're following the Torah, you're hearing his voice. One last thing. It says, our religion, Rabbi Monk says, is not merely a conceptual view of the world, nor does it an abstract philosophy. It teaches us the imperative of duty and moral conduct, commanding us to love Adonai, to serve him and with all the varied richness of our lives and our being. We give ourselves totally to the one and only God in every part of our being and without reserve. It is this gift of self to Adonai which endows man with a harmonious personality free of eternal contradiction. In other words, we have to lay down our life and be willing to submit our life to a God in every single way possible. End of our Aliyah today. There's so much more to be learned and studied, and so we invite you to join us for the Shabbat to do just that. We also hope and pray, I hope and pray, that you have a beautiful and amazing Sabbath. The Shabbat Table Sparks will be published on the Sar Shalom website here just in an hour or two. MySarShalom.com, so you can go there and find the Shabbat Table Sparks. If you don't know what those are, just go to MySarShalom.com. And get those, and you'll be able to have a powerful and vibrant Torah discussion at your Sabbath table. Please remember to subscribe to our channel and click the little bell if you haven't done so, and like this video. Shabbat Shalom to every single one of you. May you have a blessed Shabbat. I pray that we see everybody in Shul tomorrow. Don't miss it. Looking forward to seeing you. Shabbat Shalom.